right. It's my honor and privilege to get to introduce, once again, my father, Pastor Doug Bergsma, here to all of you. It's just, I'm so uh, excited to have him here and share him with you guys this, this weekend. And um, I wish, I don't have, obviously, a lot of time to say a lot about him, but I wish I had time to explain to all of you how two of his great loves of his life, which are God's Word on one hand and, and his love for music in the other, and how he is, uh, how much that's influenced and played a huge role in my life. Um, probably the thing that my dad, I, from the earliest memories I have of my dad, are him listening to music and trying to find the ultimate song that is both musical genius and also God's Word all in one. <laughs> that's like he's and he's still to this day he just he loves God's word and he loves music and he loves combining the two um, there's so much more I could say but I guess to sum up the main thing is many ministers unfortunately across the country and the world I think they have a message to sell on Sunday and then they kind of live the way they live the rest of the week that wasn't ever the case with my dad um, he is so genuine his faith is the real deal. We saw him on Sunday morning bringing God's word, but we saw him living it every day of the week in our home. Um, it was very common to hear him discussing what he was excited about with my mother uh, in God's word, um, what he was learning. Anybody would meet him. If you spent much time with him, he'd be soon the subject would change to what God's word was doing in his life at that time. And then also playing the greatest song he could find <laughs> that, that did something similar, but his faith was genuine, and I, and I can't overstate that, because there's a huge difference, especially for parents who are listening. Um, your kids, they know the difference, and seeing him daily in God's Word and on his knees in prayer um, when nobody else was watching or looking is what made a huge impact in my life, and even though, like many people, I was raised that way, I strayed I had a, some rebellious years, which I have no idea why I did that, but... <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> he did everything right, and so did my mother, but it can still happen. But be encouraged. I, I believe the reason I came back to God and serve him with the passion I do today is because of the faith that I saw modeled in my dad. So at this time, I'll stop talking, and I'll turn the service over to him, and be blessed. Well, I'm glad to be here tonight. In honor of memory of my son, I'd like to my, title my message is The Prodigal Son. Um, I actually am going to talk about him a bit tonight. And of course, Cal, uh, Cal is my firstborn, uh, my number one son. I practiced for the rest of the family on him. I had no previous experience, so he got the brunt of my inexperience. He got spanked, and he got chided more than any other uh, child I had, you know, as you raise kids, you get softer and softer. And I started real strict. Me and we, we read all the books on parenting, and we wanted to make sure he'd toe the line. And he was a rule-breaking, boundary-seeking child. In fact, in the first day of school, when I brought him to kindergarten, uh, a private school, the teacher's explaining to the children all the chalk lines on the playground. And she said, now those are the boundaries on the chalk line where right there and you do not step over them or you'll be you know punished you stay in the lines and my son Cal promptly walked over to the line he looked at the teacher 
and he stepped over the line and looked her right in the eye, like, what are you going to do about it? But see, those were back in the days when applied psychology on the posterior end of the anatomy was still legal without getting sued or thrown in jail. And he was promptly ushered into the inner sanctum and uh, disciplined. And, uh, but he's turned out to be an awesome, uh, awesome godly man. And uh, I was kind of depressed when he left. Uh, all my children have been around me. And when he left and came down to uh, Galena here, I was sad to see him and Angela go because they were part of our worship team. And I thought, man, but I am so glad he found a church home here in a place where he could use his talents. And you guys have been a real blessing to him. Um, tonight, uh, like I commented earlier, I want to talk about the prodigal son. And you say, well, I know that story. And uh, you may know that story, but I want to look at it through the eyes of the Jewish nation when Jesus first introduced it and maybe see a little fresh look at grace in a little different way than we may have looked at it before and maybe amp it up where we have a greater realization of the grace that's available to us in our everyday life that we so often uh, take for granted, not only take for granted, but we don't realize how much grace is there. And we tend to uh, uh, fall short of that by underestimating the massive, awesome grace and love of God uh, concerning us as his children. So uh, I'm going to introduce this theme tonight. But uh, on your website, uh, if you go online, uh, and don't go listen to it before, if you, well, tomorrow you probably won't be here unless you really enjoyed yourself. But... I have two more messages. This is a three-part series, and it's a real dose, a modern, full-blown dose on grace. The other two messages are on your website, and you can access them. Listen to both of them, because, and as you do, starting tonight, open your heart, and we all have these, uh, these um, boundaries in our brain of what we can receive, and we hear something, and we put up a little thing, and, and, and don't fully take everything in. And sometimes we do that because we need to be careful, not just believe anything we see. But I will tell you, I can promise you uh, my roots. Uh, my dad was a Christian Reformed pastor. I was raised by a fighting fundamentalist. And then the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and changed him in. He started one of the first uh, independent full gospel churches in West Michigan, back where we lived, and became a leader in the entire region. But his roots are in the rock-solid, foundational, mainstream aspects of our Christian faith. But I want to tell you tonight, I want to open this with uh, uh, this story. Um, by the, well, let's see, where, yeah. So grace, the topic tonight is grace. We're going to use the prodigal son, but the, the topic is grace, and it's God's undeserved favor. That's what grace is. It's something we don't deserve, but it's something he gives us anyhow. If you wanted to spell it out after the letters in the word grace, it would be God's riches at Christ's expense. Um, Jesus uh, had a real challenge in front of him, a real challenge in front of him. He arrived on the scene uh, at, at the premium time. It says in the fullness of time, it said God brought forth his son, born of a virgin, and Jesus was going to introduce something new that the human race, starting with the Jewish nation, had never seen before. 
An amazing essence called grace was about to be released in the universe, and it had never, ever been experienced before, ever. And the Jewish nation had no knowledge of it. They were the people of the law, the people of the book. In fact, John 1, verse 17 says this, The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You see, up from the time of Adam all the way to the time of Moses, there was no written law. There was no code from God to show people right or wrong and where they stood and what the consequences might be. According to the Word of God and history, man, until the time that the Ten Commandments came, lived by conscience. Every man, it said, did what was right in his own eyes. There was no written code that showed us where we stood. But then God, he, he, he raises up the nation of Israel as his own special people. He delivers them from Egypt, and he brings them to Mount Sinai, and he gives them the law, the Ten Commandments, the moral code for the universe, and all civil law and much of spiritual principle is all based on these laws. And here's what the law said. It said this, this is right, this is wrong. If you're right, you'll be rewarded in this, and if you're wrong, this will happen to you. You'll be punished. And so it brought condemnation. It showed men where we stood, right or wrong. And so the Jewish nation, for the first time, suddenly realized and could see their own condition. And God implemented a whole series of sacrifice, sacrificial system along with the law to show them that they needed something besides their own performance, that there was coming a substitute, that without the shedding of blood there was no remission of sin. But meanwhile, the nation of Israel knew one thing, the book, the law. It was all about their performance. Do this, do this, do this, don't do that, or else. And so there they sat, and they related to God uh, by obeying the commandments, but falling short of them in many ways, and then sacrificing animals and every other thing uh, that God had commanded in 613 ceremonial laws. And, uh, and God did this. He counted their obedience and their obedience to the law as righteous credit until the real substitute came along. But now... Jesus comes along, and for the first time, he's going to bring a whole new level, a whole new side of God that no one had ever seen before. And so, he, he, and, and this nation was steeped in law and performance, and he, and he picked, it's so amazing, that he picked a story, a parable of a prodigal son. Uh, who was on the outs with his father. And this amazing story is the story he used to give us the first look at grace that we've ever seen. And uh, his, his audience was Jewish leaders steeped in law, steeped in religion, and of course some of the followers of the religious leaders. It was a pretty good-sized audience. And Jesus sat them down. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unfold this next era, this new side of God you've never seen, and he tells a story. In a certain passage, Luke 15, 11 through 32, we'll go through it quick. He said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his subject, uh, possessions in prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there rose a severe famine in the land, and he began to want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him to the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods the swine ate, but nobody gave him anything. When he came to 
to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I'm perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father, and when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and bring out the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and be merry, for my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, he's found, and they began to make merry. Now the older son was in the field and he came near to the house and he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and says, what's going on here? And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Apparently they had this calf. They always kept one, a nice fat wagyu calf off to the right somewhere for parties that appeared. Um, He was angry, the elder brother, and wouldn't go in. Therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him. And he said to his father, Lo, all these years I've been serving you and never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat so I could make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came home, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said, Son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead. But he's alive again, and he was lost, and now he's found. There's three main characters in this story. The father, the prodigal son, and the elder brother. And, of course, the Jewish audience full of religious leaders. And Jesus is about to break it down. Now, prodigal, it comes from an old English word, which means reckless, wasteful, and extravagant. And this prodigal, he didn't value his inheritance at all. First of all, he asked for it early. And and he didn't value his community, his family. And on receiving that whole thing, he leaves town and wasted it, wasted his whole living, his whole inheritance in riotous living. Uh, Wasted in the Greek translation is the word asotos, which means licentious, promiscuous, and moral debauchery. So, I mean, this kid, at this point, I'm telling you, Jesus has got the audience's attention. They're on full alert, on the edge of their seats. All their senses are activated. Number one, it's illegal for a son even to get his inheritance early. Number two, if you get the inheritance early for some reason, you are to stay and work your father's estate till he dies. Okay? And now the son... He got his inheritance early, and he left the family estate. He left town. He broke every moral law in the book. And all these things were absolutely unthinkable. You don't leave your dad. You don't get your inheritance early. You certainly don't leave your family community. And you certainly don't live wrong. He did it all. And this was unthinkable. For for the Jewish audience, this young man is toast. He's toast. And then, at some point, these religious leaders had to think about the father. What about the father? What about the old man? I mean, what's wrong with that spineless old fellow? He just gave his son what he wanted. Then the son left town, and the father didn't even try to stop him. Can you imagine 
uh, he, they didn't think much of the father. In fact, the law, the reason, you know, in the law, uh, there were strict rules about a son who was disrespectful and didn't honor his father. In fact, Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, look at this. And it says, if a, they have a rebellious son who won't obey the voice of the father and mother who they have chastened and they will, he will not heed them, they're to take hold of him, bring him to the elders of the city and to the gate of the city and say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and won't obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. And the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones and put away the evil from you. And all Israel will fear. I mean, talk about okey smokes. This was tough stuff. And now, if uh, uh, the Mishnah, uh, as, as the Jewish nation went on and progressed from that, they mellowed out a bit. The Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish interpretations of how to interpret the scriptures. See, at night they didn't sit around with technology and look at their iPads and their computers. They all went to the local synagogue two or three nights a week, and they sat around and they discussed the Torah, the law, and what it made that meant. They broke it down, and they argued and talked about the exact balance and meaning of a particular scripture. And the Mishnah says this. This is the the watered-down conclusion later on as time went on about this part in Deuteronomy. It said, if a man had a rebellious son who wasn't conforming or responding to discipline, they were to publicly expose him in front of everyone. Then the son, father was to take the son into the town square and slap him across the face and give him one last chance. If not, he was stoned. Now, today, this day, Orthodox families still follow a practice. They can't follow it like this anymore. But you know what they do? If a family member rebels and goes off the skids, they pray the Kaddish, which is a funeral prayer over him, and they disown him or her publicly and will have nothing to do with it. So one thing for sure, you don't let them off the hook. But this is what the dad did. And now the audience is on the edge of its seat going, what's going to happen next here? Everything is wrong about this picture. Everything is wrong. And this is where we start to, uh, let me uh, stray a little, get a glimpse of something new that we haven't seen before that, that we will call common grace. Common grace is the grace and favor that God extends to every living soul. We deserve punishment and penalty for our sins and our mistakes. And people who don't even know God, they deserve it they, 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 and, and, and act wickedly and go completely off the skids. They really got it coming. And, uh, and legally, the hammer could fall because we'd be sinned. We're, we're on the skids with God, but God doesn't do that. He sends the rain, it says, on the just and the unjust. The sun rises every day with its warmth on the evil and the good, and God gives us space. He doesn't pound us the minute we step out of line. He honors our free will. We're triune beings, spirit, soul, and body created in his image with a free will. And he doesn't wait just like this, ready to pound you the minute you do something wrong. He gives us space. And in that space, we get to choose our way. We get to choose our own way without immediate penalty. And, uh, with, uh, you know, and God's honoring that. And in that time, as we make decision after decision, it's up to us to make decisions that take us God's way. But he, he gives us common grace. 
And I love that. How many of you felt from time to time if there's some repetitive thing you've had a problem with or some bent in your life that you'd struggle with and even ask for forgiveness? It's, it's, it's coming this time. It's coming. There's a, there's a guy with a stick up there, and I'm going to get hit. You know, I've confessed and asked God for forgiveness one too many times and, and blown it. And, it, and you want to know what? That's actually... Well, let me just go on with my message. Anyhow, so Jesus is given a new picture of common grace. And then he goes on, by the way, in, in, in another portion with this parable, and he talks about the fact that we're to give common grace. You know, common grace is given to us, but I might want to say this. God wants us to give this same grace to each other. And he told the Jewish nation this. We have to extend the grace we've received as well. And, and, uh, and this is flipping people out because Jesus started saying all kinds of stuff that, they, that seemed to go against everything they were doing. For instance, he said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those. Pray for those who hate you and are your enemies. That's the opposite of everything the law said and they were to do. And then he said, you've heard it say, you know, if one man compels you to go a mile, go with him two miles. What? Do you know that there's a tradition the Roman citizens had that they could, they could be walking down the road and they could need some help with a burden or some task and they could take any Jewish citizen that they encountered and that they were carrying a load and they could hand it to the Jewish citizen and that Jewish citizen had to drop what he was doing and he had to go with them up to as far as one mile. That, is, that was a rule. So, so can you imagine the way these the Jewish people hated these Romans. You're winding, walking around down the road, and here comes a, a, a Roman guy with a big old load and burden of wood or something, and he stops and goes, hey, you, drop everything, come with me. Jesus says, you know, if somebody compels you to go a mile, go with them too. Oh. And so, and he goes on and on. It says, and it says, uh, and so these, these guys, you and I have received common grace and we're to give it as well. So this is completely new teaching to these people. They just did not understand God's grace. Let me keep going here. Now, completely new. Someone very controversial was suddenly tell them to do the opposite of everything that was ingrained in them without contradicting the law and what it stood for. They just... <laughs> so... Now the audience is still reeling about this. They're trying to deal with it all. And Jesus switches back over to the prodigal. Now he's out of money. He's vagrant. He's, he's, he's out in the, in the sticks. And, and uh, he's got nowhere to turn. And he joins himself, it said, to a citizen. A citizen is a foreigner, probably a Roman citizen. It was unthinkable for any Jew to mix up or attach himself in any way to a foreigner. It was absolutely unthinkable. And the word in the Greek uh, uh, for join is a, it speaks of an un, join in an unhealthy way. He attached himself to this citizen. You know, it's like I, uh, uh, I was in Costa Rica. I, I have a place in Costa Rica, so me and my wife go down there, and you're walking down the beach, there's dogs all over the place. And if you want a dog, pick your dog. You find a good-looking dog or any dog. You need, all you have to do is make eye contact with the dog and if he sees anything in you that he could get something off you, he begins to follow you. And he'll follow you right down the street in a restaurant and lay right next to your table. 
It's unbelievable. He joins himself to you. He's there to stalk you. And they're very polite, but they, you, you have to kick them practically to get them to go away. Anyhow, he joins himself, and this guy gives him a job feeding pigs. Pigs are not kosher. This kid, how could you go lower? He went to the bottom rung of the ladder and jumped off. And now he's so starving, he would eat what the pigs were eating, but his stomach couldn't digest him because carob pods were only fed to cattle and to swine in times of famine, and they could barely digest him. So this kid is gone. He's starving. The audience freaking because this kid's feeding unkosher pigs joined to a citizen. It, when will this end? This kid now is beyond redemption. He's so far gone, he's off the, he's off the record. And he's untouchable, irredeemable. And then the son comes to himself and is saying, he's at the complete end of himself. And he goes, I'm completely at the end. He says, you know what? Even my father's hire's help has, has it so much better than this. I'm going to go back and just throw myself on his mercy. Maybe I can get a, a hireling job. So he goes back. He stinks. He's detestable. He's been living with the pigs. He doesn't have a thing to stand on. And, 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 and when he gets in the distance, he sees his father sitting on the porch, and the father sees him. Oh, boy. Back to the Jewish audience. Let's switch back. You know what? The Jewish audience is going, what's going to happen next? You know, before the old man was spineless, but now that he's seen the true nature of this kid, the hammer's going to fall. But what happens? He flips the audience out again because he runs off the porch. He throws his arms around this prodigal and he hugs him and he kisses him. I mean, this is just crazy. This is crazy. Now, listen, the audience can hardly believe this. Do you know this? A middle in the Middle East, an older man does not run. In fact, the translators were so freaked out about the word run, they ignored it and wrote hastened or hurried. And it wasn't until after 1860 that you could find a translation where it said run. It was just, you just don't do that. They, it was inconceivable. And so uh, the father hugs this, this boy. He initiates, he initiates restoration. He runs and hugs the kid before the kid can say anything. And, and he shames himself in front of the whole village who was expecting the hammer to fall and holds his son and, and, and in his arms. And we are given now the first, we've seen common grace, but now we're given a, a picture of saving grace. Grace that not only allows and provides space, but a grace that restores and saves and, and changes and fixes what's broken. Their audience could not believe their eyes. The old man let the kid off the hook, completely off the hook. The father said to his servants, Luke 15, 22, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring in his hand, sandals on his feet. Robe speaks of honor. In Greek translation, you know what it says? Bring out a first-ranking garment privilege and rank with his inheritance after he'd squandered was restored. A ring remains authority and full status back in the family. Sandals on his feet, all the hired help in Jewish households always were barefoot. Only the family wore sandals. And then he says, bring out the fatted calf, ribeyes and merlot all around. 
My kid was dead. Kill that thing. We're going to have a roast and we are going to party because my kid's back. The father does it all. The father restores. The son, he says, I'm not worthy. He skips all that stuff. He hugs him. He restores him. Gives him full rank, inheritance. And then he calls everybody together and he parties about it. Oh, the audience is stunned. He let the old kid off the hook and reinstated him in the family and gave him his inheritance back. You know, God has done the same for you and me. Christ publicly shamed himself. The father stooped in grace and humbled himself and gave his only son so that you and I could could have salvation and we could have grace in our life and we could be in his family, all based on everything he did and not at all on anything we did. And Jesus was telling this parable to the religious leaders for their sakes and ours. As far as they were concerned, this just flagrant love and forgiveness, not only unorthodox, it was completely out of reach, couldn't see it, couldn't wrap their arms around it. While they were still thinking about this crazy grace off the hook free, and not, Jesus switches the story, and he switches to the third character in the parable, the elder brother who was out in the field, working the fields, working it hard, working it every day. And he hears the noise, and he comes back, and he says, what's going on here? And, they say, and he says, uh, he finds out that this, this loser brother of his has come back, and that his dad has reinstated him in the family, probably took part of the kid's inheritance, <laughs> and, and, and gave him everything back. And then they said, and then he went and killed the fatted calf. Apparently, this fatted calf was a big deal. Um, I keep steaks in my freezer for events like this. But I will tell you this, he got mad. He couldn't go in. He, he wasn't in grace. He couldn't see grace. He didn't want to give grace. He was just mad. He was proud. He was looking at his performance. He was looking at the bad performance of this, comparing himself to it and saying, I deserve this, I deserve this. He judged the younger brother. He was fat-headed and proud and angry instead of loving and being glad that his little brother was back. He was mad and he wouldn't go in. The audience was stunned because Jesus was talking directly to them. In one full fell swoop, he pulled them into the parable. The elder brother was them. Oh, he was addressing their faulty perspective about God and how he is, saying, you can't have a living, loving relationship with me based on things you've done, based on your performance, no matter how good it is. He was saying that relationship with God is based on what he has done for us. He was saying, you guys all need to humble yourselves and get on the grace train because a new side of God is coming down that's going to reveal. Humble yourself under his, be glad, receive his grace, be able to give his grace and go in and join the party, join the celebration. There's no joy in self-righteousness and religious bigotry and in judging or comparing ourselves to anyone else. There's no joy in trying to relate to God or anyone else on the basis of performance. Grace, an amazing new essence, was leaking into the universe for the first time. And as they saw it, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. He was giving them a glimpse of a glorious new train coming down the tracks. 
The grace train in 1 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we through his poverty might be made rich. And so, (laughs) and that's just what God has done for you and me. Sometimes, you know, we tend to be like the elder brother. We receive God's grace. We all have experienced his common grace. And, we, 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 and then we meet his saving grace. We come to the place where we realize that we need a Savior and that we need Jesus, uh, what he has done for us, and we ask him in. We experience peace. We experience some joy and everything else. We even begin to, as we look at God's word, let it affect the way we live and alter our behavior. But as time goes on, And as time goes on, we start to do kind of good. And we're tempted to look back at our performance and suddenly we're thinking, you know, I'm I'm doing pretty good. And we slip back into legalistic performance relation to God. And then when we make a mistake, we look at our performance and we think, oh, my performance stinks. I'm on the skids with God. And just like that, we've slipped back into relating to God based on what we did or didn't do. When all he's saying is all, everything I've ever done for you and the only way I'll ever relate to you is based on what I did for you. And we can tend to lose our, our, our peace and our joy and our sense of security with our Heavenly Father because very subtly we slip back into judging one another and relating to God, I had a bad day or I did pretty good. Or we think I'm making some good progress and suddenly we begin to rely on our own ability to live the Christian life. And we start feeling guilt and all the condemnation that no longer exists under grace because there is no condemnation under grace. There's no guilt. He paid it all, all to him we owe, sin left its crimson stain. He washed it white as flow. Everyone is free because of God's amazing grace. But we tend to get performance-based and we begin to feel insecure. And then you know what we do? We think, well, I need to have a couple of good days. I need to behave differently. I need to be a little better, which God wants a great performance from our lives. But it's not the foundation. And after a couple of days, we feel like me and God are good again. And we start to live that way, up and down with guilt and condemnation, in and out. I'll cover that in my next couple messages. But today, I just want to challenge you here that we are here by God's divine appointment and through this message the Holy Spirit is coming off the porch he's running to us and he's saying to us he says don't ever forget that you are always and forever if you know me my child and you always relate to me based on what I did for you it's all about trusting in my grace to make you new but it's also about trusting me on a daily basis that I'm going to finish the good work I started in you And there's no condemnation, no guilt to those who are in Christ Jesus. Grace, common grace and saving grace is so free, so wild and free that we should live in it, bask in it. We think it's limited, but it's limitless. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. And and, and just think of Barabbas. Think of Barabbas. Three criminals were going to get executed on the day Jesus was crucified. There there was no text you could get in your cell 
No one knew what was going out outside. All Barabbas could hear and the other two malefactors was screaming and shouting of crowds and, and everything else. All they knew is I got one day left to live and then I'm going to have the consequences of every evil thing that I've ever done. I'm going to get taken out. I'm going to get nailed to a cross. I'm going to die the most excruciating death anyone could ever die. And there's no way around it. The horror of knowing that and not knowing what lies in the aftermath of that in eternity is covering you so that you're sitting like this in the cell just like this you can't describe that feeling and then that next morning you hear the clump clump as the guards come down the hall and the key turns in the lock and Barabbas looks up and the centurion opens the door and says Barabbas this is your lucky day Somebody, in fact, a famous guy, took your place completely. He's going to, they're going to kill him instead of you. Sir, you are free to go. Here's your 50 bucks. I hope you figure it all out. No tether, no probation officer, nothing. You're free to go. That's what he's done for you and me. And the wild freedom of knowing that we're going to, that we're, compl- that we're saved. That there's no condemnation to us. That our performance, even if we need to ask for forgiveness for something we've done, there's no condemnation because we're his kids. And grace is wild and free and boundless to every single one of us. And I want to just challenge you today. Just challenge you today. If you're insecure and under condemnation, I wonder where you stand with God. I want to challenge you today, and we're going to do a prayer in a minute, and to to recommit your life to God's grace. If you're struggling with guilt and condemnation, if you're struggling with those kind of things, realize that your Heavenly Father is running to you. He loves you. He's wrapping His arms around you. No No matter how many times you've done what you've done, He's got more love, more grace to take you past every fault, every problem, and hold you in His arms as you walk with Him till one day you live free and walk beyond that thing. That is his amazing grace. And if you're here today and you've started to, to, to like the elder brother, maybe judge other people and look down on them and, 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 and just feel like you've you really got something going, I, I just today, just tonight, just lay that down and say, God, I don't want to judge anyone. I don't want to relate to you on my performance. I just want to throw myself like a little kid on your grace into your arms and i want to live and i want to not have you resist proud but you give grace to the humble i humble myself god and i do this i remember frequently sometimes i'll wake up in the morning and i'll just lay in bed and i'll go lord i just rededicate my life to you i rededicate every aspect of my life to you and i trust that your grace saved me there was nothing that i could do to save myself and i trust that as much as i struggle that your grace It not only brought me in, but your grace will lead me home. Your grace is what I'm 
falling on and trusting you to help me finish my course and to become everything you planned for me to be. So tonight, I feel God's presence in the room as we've talked and we've looked around his word. And I want everyone to just bow your heads. And, and, and I want to pray a prayer in a minute. The first prayer I want to pray is this. If you're not sure you're right with God, if you're not sure you're born again, you're, you, you don't know for sure your name's in the book of life, I just want to pray a simple prayer. We're not going to call anybody forward. We'll all pray that prayer together. So don't be self-conscious. Just do business with God. But in 1830, uh, 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 an employee named George Fellows was convicted of robbing the U.S. mail, and he was sentenced to be hanged. And President Andrew Jackson issued a pardon for him. But Fe- George Fellows, he refused to accept it. And Chief Justice Marshall said this. He says, that pardon's just a piece of paper, but it has to be accepted by the one for whom it was written and given. And if it's not accepted, it's just a piece of paper, and it's no pardon at all. George Fellows must be hanged. So I want to say this today. How do you receive God's amazing grace? By asking, by receiving it, by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. Because Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because with your heart you believe, but with your mouth you activate it till salvation just like getting married you can't get married without saying i do so if you're not sure and you want it recorded in heaven and on earth this is your night just for a moment slip your hand up and put it down and don't leave here not right with god if that's you for just a moment just slip your hand up we'll sit here in god's presence i just want to make sure everybody's right with god in this room tonight awesome well then lord i pray And I thank you for your amazing grace, common grace that gives us space to be children in your big God playpen. And Lord, the grace that has saved us and the grace that will lead us home. Lord, help us to rely on your grace, not just to save us, but to finish the good work you've started in us. And thank you for everything you've done. You're you're so loving. Lord, you come after us. You hold us like the father who ran off the porch. Bless us, God, as we celebrate your grace. And Lord, finish the good work you've started in this church and in every member in this church. Lord, let them accomplish the destiny fully, Lord, that you raised them up and called them for. And let them not miss it. Let them fulfill it completely. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.